0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: It's August 30th, 1888. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors.
1: Have you ever considered what was the worst day in history to be a grouse? <laughs> Possibly not. But if you did, it would be hard to beat today in history in 1888 as a contender when crack shot and bafflingly well-known naturalist Lord Walsingham bagged a record-breaking 1,070 grouse in a single day on Blubberhouse's moor in Yorkshire at the height of late 19th century hunting overkill.
2: Yes, and the height of grouse season, it's worth saying for those of you who have ambled through August blissfully unaware of the grouse (laughs) shooting calendar, uh, you should know that we are now right in the middle of this year's um, because the season in the UK always begins on the 12th of August, a date
0: known by grouse hunting aficionados as the glorious 12th. Yeah, so the guy who broke this record, Thomas de Grey, also known as the sixth Lord Walsingham, he lived up there in Moor, which, quite frankly, guys, sounds like one of those place names that I encounter in England, and I'm like, this is surely made up. Those sort of it's Ticklebury on the Marsh or Buttsworth in Wigglesbury. <laughs> I'm
2: like, this is surely not it sounds true. Sounds like a place from a Julia Donaldson. It book, does. Doesn't it? it totally as does.
0: As is the verb to grouse. I kept thinking when I was reading right. the story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the different ways that grouse is used in colloquial speech are funny, but. Anyway, so Walsingham was a really interesting figure within the British gentry. He took on a really diverse palette of civic roles and gained recognition as a skilled cricketer among his many other talents. Also, as you say, Rebecca, he was a naturalist. And I got to say, for a naturalist, he really did like killing things because he had a really, (laughs) really enormous uh, collection of butterfly. He was particularly interested in microlepidoptera, which is a group encompassing small moths and butterflies. But over the years, he amassed the most incredible collection. He had 250,000 specimens that he eventually donated to the Natural History Museum. I was just like, that's too many small moths for any person to appreciate, surely.
2: I agree. I think one a day is fine. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah like, you know, if you had one for every day of the year, you'd be like, I'm going to look at this moth that I've got in my collection. It's like
1: a a word-a-day calendar. You're just (laughs) killing a butterfly every single day. (laughs) To be fair, you have a certain responsibility to have a large butterfly connection when you are a two-time president of the Entomological Society of London, as Walsingham was. He was also a fellow of the Royal Society and a trustee of the British Museum.
2: But yes, it's his role as a grouse murderer (laughs) that we're paying tribute to today.
1: (laughs) Well, and supposedly the reason that he even undertook this achievement was that he had previously killed 840 grouse in a single day back in 1872 but doubt had been cast on the feasibility of this achievement I assume you know scornful remarks in the gentleman's club (laughs) and he was eager to repeat it or even as it turned out better it in order to prove that he was in fact capable of this level of you know bird murder
2: It was possible technologically at this time in history by the way because shotguns had just become breech loading so that meant they could be loaded and reloaded more straightforwardly and moorlands were easier to access in general, although obviously in the case of Thomas de Grey he lived on the estate
0: um, because of the railway. Yeah, shoots, the way that they go down for anyone who hasn't been on a shoot is that basically you've got beaters who are the people who walk ahead of the uh, shooting people, they're called guns and the beaters basically flush the birds out and they then fly up into the sky and the uh, and the guns then uh, take shots at them from places that are called blinds. But he was also being hand new shotguns by assistance. And his day went from 5.12 in the morning, that was when the first drive began, until the very last drive, which was at 6.45. And the estimate is that he was shooting one grouse every 13 seconds throughout this period.
1: Yeah, he also shot 14 grouse on his walk home. I mean, (laughs) this is how thick the air was with grouse. But... The very style of hunting that you described, Arian, this is what's called a driven shoot. You know, they've got a whole team of beaters. There were 40 beaters working in two teams working all day on this. This style of hunting was the reason that these enormous tallies were possible. And these driven shoots had only started becoming popular through the mid and late 19th century. Before then, shooters advanced through them all into themselves with their hunting dogs and they would shoot the birds that the dogs scared up. Much harder to bag these kinds of enormous record-breaking tallies. Once you have a team Team of staff racing around in the undergrowth, scaring the birds and then retrieving the carcasses for you, it became much deadlier. Prior to the advent of driven shoots, the largest amount of grouse killed on a single day on Blubberhouses Moor was 182. So you can really see how it took this industrial team of beaters to get these enormous numbers.
2: But then, you have to ask is that really very sporting? And indeed, that question was asked. I mean, you talked about rumblings in the Gentleman's Club. uh, In Land and Water Quarterly, that's how we know about this day, because Walsingham himself wrote in to talk about it. Quote, on the Tuesday following my big day, when I killed 1,070 grouse, on August the 30th, We saw more birds in the first drive than I saw in any one drive on that occasion, but they appeared once only. The whole pack went off the moor, and had not the ground been left quiet shortly after to encourage their return, they probably would have been lost to the stock for the following breeding season. And he says that in the context of a piece in which he argues that this style of hunting is sportsmanship because it has the requisite combination of, quote, skill and cunning. And what he's saying is. Yes, we made a load of noise on that day and we killed a hell of a load of birds. But because we didn't make a load of noise on August the thirty-first, they all came back. <laughs> um, and if if we'd have only done a few birds on each day, as would seem more sporting, they'd have left forever and then you'd never be able to eat grouse. And how would you like that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, part of the reason why he was trying to make this argument was that obviously this meat was actually making it back into the general market. Because as opposed to the US, where you can't sell wild game and wild birds to restaurants, in the UK you can. And that's why you get the glorious 12th, which is the moment at which all of these birds that are being killed in shoots all around the country are now making it to restaurants. And so uh, you can see that the argument could be made that this is a meat that is actually turning up on people's plates.
2: Yeah, not the restaurants I go to you can tell the kind of places Arian frequents can't you? <laughs> All the game meat is here,
0: it's the glorious 12th everybody Well only once, maybe twice a year
1: <laughs> Well you know the glorious 12th but also the glorious 13th if the 12th is a Sunday it remains an offence to shoot game on Sundays in England and Wales, that is one, that's one old law that has uh, remained untouched presumably because it doesn't affect a huge amount of people but there is a historical competition between in a certain type of London restaurant to be the first to serve grouse on the 12th itself. The freshly killed birds are being rushed down from the hunting grounds.
2: So Arian McNichol can write a review of the way <laughs> they poached in red wine, served with wilted spinach. <laughs> it was almost <laughs> uncomfortably fresh, I would say. <laughs> yeah. have, you had, have you ever had more
0: fowl, Arian? I have the king had, of game birds. <laughs> I have had grouse. Um, I cooked it for myself because my father-in-law does shoot every now and again. And uh, and he brought this thing back for me and I was like, I actually don't know what to do with it. It wasn't very nice, but that's because I cooked it. <laughs> I'm well, not blaming the bird.
2: <laughs> it says here, it's a lean red meat, rich in iron, less than a third of the fat and twice the protein of roast chicken.
0: It's quite a hard thing to imagine, isn't it? You think of it like chicken. Mm. It's mm. comparable to chicken, but it looks like steak. There's a curious connection between shooting and even the keeping of records on a global scale because the Guinness Book of World Records came about in this curious way. In 1951, Sir Hugh Beaver was hunting with a party Surely in not. Ireland. Surely <laughs> not. Yep. And he, uh... That's a Bart Simpson Moe's name. Huge beaver. <laughs> So Okay, so he is a real person. And now someone in his uh, hunting party shot at but missed a golden plover, a different type of bird. And this prompted a discussion in the group. What's the fastest game bird in Europe? Is it the golden plover or the red grouse? And so Hugh concluded that a book supplying answers to such questions would prove popular in the pubs that sold his company's products. Yes, because Hugh Beaver was the head of Guinness. And so he started up the whole business of Guinness world records from the fact that he was interested in the flight of different birds and their relative speed to one another.
2: Wow. So we, peddling the trivia that we do, obviously owe an enormous debt to this sport. Right. Um, As do apparently two and a half thousand people in Britain who are still employed in grouse hunting. But there is now a bit of an ethical conversation, finally, after 150 years. <laughs> um, in that, well, firstly, there's the issue that heather moorland is apparently now rarer than rainforest. And the UK does have a lot of it, but that is 75% of what's left worldwide. And part of the process of driving these animals is setting fire to the moorland. Um, and then the other sort of ethical concern that people have is this business of driven game at all, And some of those posh restaurants actually now refuse to take birds that have been uh, killed in a driven shoot. They will only take mm. birds that have been shot in a walked up shoot. It must make it very, very hard to keep a mm. menu uh, sustainable, though, because on average, only 20 birds are shot per day, compared to, you know, these four figure sums you get when you're doing a driven shoot.
1: Yeah, I mean there's also there's a class aspect to it as well. You know, as you say heather moorland is a rather rare habitat now, but most of it is in England. 4% of England is grouse moor according to a 2016 investigation for Friends of the Earth. That's 550,000 acres of land an area the size of Greater London and it's controlled by a tiny minority of people a lot of whom are aristocrats whose family have been sitting on that land for you know generations if not centuries there is a sense of entitlement about it and actually it didn't peak in the Victorian era remained well into the 20th century you know in 1982 Viscount Mount Garrett fired his shotgun at a hot air balloon full of people because he judged <laughs> it was flying too low over his Yorkshire grouse moor at the start of a drive oh, you wouldn't he wouldn't was flying- driving. Without
2: my drivers.
1: I mean, he was fined £1,800. The Guardian obituary for him described him as a bundle of unreconstructed early Tudor attitudes.
0: (laughs) But there would have been some delicious stuff on the menu of some restaurants (laughs) in London that night. (laughs) Tomorrow. There are 11
2: Warner Brothers cartoons that have been withdrawn from circulation since 1968.
0: Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Sick of being upsold
2: at gyms?